This podcast is called Obsessed. Joseph Scrimshaw and his guest get some secrets off their chest. You should listen. It's the best. Hello and welcome to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. Today's episode features writer and producer Mark Gannick in his obsession with the author David Foster Wallace. I had a really great time talking with Mark about David Foster Wallace because it reminded me I really want to get back to reading myself. I have not been reading much lately because I am a horrible monster person. The only time I have for reading is right before bed, and since I am an obsessive little man, I can't just read one chapter. So if I start reading, I stay up all night and then sleep for three fitful hours and then have stressed out guilt dreams about getting paper cuts on my thighs. That is a real dream that I have had, and I do not have a therapist, so uh, I get to tell you. Thanks for listening. Anyway, uh, lately I've come up with a great reading solution. I knew I needed to read something that is only a little bit interesting, so uh, I will feel both stimulated and sleepy at the same time. So I've started reading random Wikipedia pages. The more absurd and pedantic, the better. And the best Wikipedia article I've found, the one that is like right in the middle of the Venn diagram between intriguing and mind-numbing, is the page for Star Trek The Motion Picture. It is like the Wikipedia editors got together and decided it would be a fun meta joke if the page for the movie was as long and ponderous as the movie itself. Now, if you're in the middle of reading that Wikipedia page right now, I warn you, here are a few spoilers. Gene Roddenberry thought clothes would be disposable in the future. William Shatner was unhappy with some of his lines. And there is a whole section detailing exactly how many feet of film were shot on which production date. It is fascinating that someone would put that on a Wikipedia page. So if you're looking for some nice, calm reading material that will only induce very slow, ponderous nightmares, I cannot recommend this Wikipedia page enough. Or, you know, you could read great literature from someone like David Foster Wallace. Now for plugs. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to fund it via Patreon. You can find out all the info at patreon.com slash Joseph Scrimshaw. Shows! I've got a bunch of shows coming up. The next episode of my variety show, Comedy Dreamtime, is Saturday, March 21st at Nerdist School Stage here in Los Angeles. It will feature the music of Ali Gertz, the stand-up of Will Weldon, and the dream comedy sketch of Josh A. Kagan, the screenwriter of the hit movie The Duff. I'm also hosting another exciting episode of the wordplay competition Pundemonium on Tuesday, March 31st with special guests Ann Wheaton, Tony Thaxton, and Jenna Bush. And the uh, big show that is coming up is Hashtag Nerd Night Out Tour. My friends, the awesome music and comedy duo The Double Clicks and I are going on tour. Starting April 6th, we'll be in Portland, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Santa Cruz, San Diego, and Seattle. Tickets and info on all these shows and more on my website at josephscrimshaw.com slash live dash shows. Thanks, and now enjoy this wonderful discussion of the actual works of David Foster Wallace not just his Wikipedia page, but his actual work. Hello and welcome back to Obsessed with me, Joseph Scrimshaw. I'm sitting in my home with an awesome person, Mark Gannick. Hello, that's me. That is you. Did I get your, your last name right? That is correct, yes. It's, Excellent. Uh, yeah. Excellent. I've been trying to do a good job of researching how to say my friends' names correctly, and yeah. sometimes well, well I... you nailed it. It was it was it, excellent. It, it was like my mother was calling me home. <laughs> she has a very deep voice. Mark Gannick. Is, yes. your, is your mom? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, w- I, w- I was raised. She's she's part demon, um, <laughs> but you know. She 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 loved me in her own way. It in just her own involved a lot of rituals, and demonic way. Yeah, exactly. What's your middle name? Paul. Oh wow! So, so yeah. Mark Paul Gannick. Yes, yes. <laughs> Strangely, they went biblical with my name. I think it was kind of an ironic naming by my demon mother. Yeah, it almost sounds like some alternate version of the Beatles. <laughs> Mark <laughs> right, Paul sure. Gannon. Yeah, exactly. Eck. Or like Mark Paul Gosseler's uh, <laughs> evil twin. Excellent. Uh, can you tell the people listening a little bit about who you are and what you do and stuff? Sure. Uh, I am uh, an adult human male. Uh, yeah, I I am a writer of comedy things, uh, mostly for 
or television shows you've never heard of um, <laughs> that are generally immediately canceled. Um, so I've worked for short-lived shows uh, such as Dion Cole's Black Box, The Will Wheaton Project, uh, and other things of that ilk. I think most of my listeners probably know uh, The Will Wheaton Project. It's generally fans of, of Will. Will's been on the podcast. And, oh. and that's how, how we met. Yes, it is how we met. Uh, I think through uh, Josh Kagan, who uh, another fine human in his own right. <laughs> yes, he I don't is. know why I feel the need to explain <laughs> that he's a good guy, but a wonderful man. Josh Kagan. Now like I'm I, just going to repeat everybody's name like a demon. I like the that. Whole, yeah, whole yeah. Podcast. Yeah, I feel like I was just doing an ad for Josh Kagan right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> a little like, spot for Josh. When Kagan. you need a good guy, Josh Kagan's your man. Bling. <laughs> nice. Uh, so you are obsessed with David Foster Wallace. That is true. Uh, the author, uh, do I have to, should I do a little quick Yeah, intro? for people who have never heard of David Foster Wallace, if they're just like, is that the guy from the Orson Welles movie? <laughs> if they have like no idea who David Foster Wallace is. Right, uh, so he is an author uh, who wrote mainly in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Um, and uh, yeah, I became obsessed with him uh, and uh, continue to be obsessed with him to this day. So he writes. He wrote uh, from uh, a lot of non nonfiction articles mm-hmm. that you may have read. Things like a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again <laughs> about um, cruise ships, right? Yeah, about about a, about cruise ships. Um, he wrote uh, even wrote some. He did some tennis writing. Um, but the main thing people may know him for is the the doorstop of a novel called Infinite Jest, <laughs> um, which uh, I, as <laughs> I was talking to a friend of mine. Uh, and she defined it as uh, the book that the worst person I ever dated tried to make me read. <laughs> it does seem like a book that is both massively appreciated for its actual quality and a book that people try to prove something by reading. That That is absolutely the case. And <laughs> Either to themselves uh, or to the people who happen to see their bookshelves. Yeah, I mean, like, like as a fan, like, I'm immediately kind of in a defensive crouch uh, oftentimes <laughs> because it, 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 that is now sort of in the culture, like, that is what it is. In fact, uh, the show uh, Man Seeking Woman, uh, which is just, just recently started airing, um, they, in the first episode, just to show you what kind of guy he was, he thought he might be bringing a girl home, and so he switches out the book on his uh, nightstand <laughs> for Infinite Jest. So that is just sort of like, the, that is the cultural place of Infinite Jest, uh, which is like a thing you do not read and try to Im- like impress people with. Do you find yourself in conversations trying to figure out if people have actually read it, or they're just bullshitting you? Not, I mean, not really. I mean, because I, I, I feel like I'm, I'm f- fairly... Uh, I mean, I, I try to be uh, like understanding, and open. Like, it's this may not be for everybody. Like, <laughs> like uh, I don't like you know. And I'm not interested in sort of like doing the inquisition of like, are you are you a real fan, man? All right, so you're not an evangelist about it. I try, I try not to be, but it ends up that way. But like, if you perceived that, like, if we were at like a cocktail party and you perceived that I was saying that I read Infinite Jest, but I was clearly full of shit. Well, I mean, uh, it's it's such a strange novel. It would be very hard to sort of like <laughs> give you like a, a surface reading of the yeah. book because there's there's so much going on inside of it. Like there's just so many weird things. Uh, yeah. Like a a tennis academy. Like a <laughs> the fact that the United States, Canada, and Mexico have joined in a nation in a super nation that is now called uh, O N A N or Onan. Uh, <laughs> so. Uh, I, I, but honestly, I would, I would just let you do it. Uh, <laughs> just give me plenty of rope. Yeah, exactly. Like just, just go ahead. Thousands of pages worth of rope, yeah, just, just like you, a book. You be who you are. <laughs> you do you lying about David Foster and, Wallace. And just try to be happy with yourself at home at night. <laughs> oh, that's never going to happen. Uh, so a thing that you said in, in your email when we were talking about what your obsession should be is that you have read every single thing that David Foster Wallace has written. Down to, like, syllabi? Yes. Uh, I mean, pretty much everything available. I have not gone down to, um, I should know the university, I don't, where his, the Papers <laughs> Project of David Foster Wallace has started, but I've read, like, the list of books that he owned. Um, and, the, and part of the thing that's sort of... Wait, so you've tracked down the books that he owned? Well, well, there's, well they, they, they released, like, a list of, like, what was in his library. Okay. And so I haven't read all of those books. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I there is a... Uh, at a certain point, you know, like with an author who's no longer alive, you actually run out of stuff. And that right. was actually a very sad day for me when I was like, I, there's nothing else for me to read. Uh, yeah, see, I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about reading David Foster Wallace, but more talk about trying to read David Foster Wallace 
So, like, it's an amazing accomplishment to finish Infinite Jest, much less to read everything else and run out. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I've, I've been working on it for a few years. I okay. didn't do it in like one, I didn't do it in one sitting. It wasn't uh, just Red Bull and yeah. crazy David Foster Wallace time. No, no, no. I, you know, I, I was my obsession is a very reasoned and uh, moderate obsession. Uh, I, you know, I talked to a lot of different people who have very different kinds of obsessions, and I'm surprised by how many people aren't like uh, needing to totally complete something. So is this specific to David Foster Wallace, or when you like something, do you have a drive to totally complete it and see every episode or go to every ride or whatever? I, I don't, actually. Because like, the thing is, is that like I am kind of the first one off the bus on everything. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, you, like you give me, like, I have a show that I love. Like, you give me, like, three bad episodes in a row, and it's just like, I'm out! <laughs> S- sorry, Breaking Bad. Um, which I did. But then I had to come back to it. Uh, like when, you so, when people, bailed on Breaking I bra- Bad. I bailed on Breaking Bad. I got slow for a couple episodes, and I'm Was just, it when Marie was stealing spoons or whatever the I, hell that was? I don't... It was... It, no, it was... I think it was, like... It was just some season where, like, they, they had this very slow build to the season. Okay. Uh, and I was convinced that it had done everything interesting it was going to be, which obviously I was clearly dead on about. Uh, but no, but like... history a, bears you out. Yeah, exactly, obviously. Um, so, no, it just happened with this particular writer that, like, it just, like, it just happened to strike a chord in me, and that's why I had to finish it. Okay, yeah, and I don't mean to be presenting it like it's a weird thing, because when you say it that way, that, like, this is a very talented, amazing, insightful author, and he's only written so much... It's not weird that you would go. <laughs> right. It's not like you're at, like I must have every stamp from 1942. It's like you. Well, you read I, his I work. do have those stamps, but that's that's the only <laughs> two things. It's amazing that you hit on that. But uh, no, I mean it was. And the thing is also is that like he. It's not a huge body of work. You know what I mean? No. There's, um, because he wrote very slowly. He had a lot of trouble procrastinating. Um, <laughs> and uh, so so yeah. So like I mean, there's two huge novels. One of which is was sort of unfinished. Uh, right. The King, um, which uh, it was unfinished at the time of his death, um, but yeah, but beyond that, there's like some, there's a couple of books of short stories, there's a bunch of nonfiction, um, and then like an early novel that he wrote, and that's kind of it, you know, like it's it's this very small uh, this very small world that. Uh, and, and yeah, and then, you know, you just, at some point you reach the end of it. <laughs> the end of David Foster Wallace. Sad. Uh, so the thing about Infinite Jest to me as a comedian is, you know, you try to absorb as much as possible as a comedian so you can use it quickly, uh, especially if you do any sort of improv. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are certain things where you're like, I, I have the immediate cultural association of David Foster Wallace would go to footnotes joke. Right. Uh, so the footnotes thing in Infinite Jest is just that like half the book is footnotes, right? Yeah, there's a huge there's there's a huge number of and they're not even footnotes, they're endnotes. Okay. So you so you have to constantly be flipping back and forth between what you're reading and the back of the book. So you have like two bookmarks okay. and you're flipping back and <laughs> forth. Which again, like this that can be irritating and I get that. But yeah. um but yeah, so he uh and part of it was is that it was a way for him to shove more pages in because his publisher kept uh, asking him to cut it down and cut it down and cut it down. He cut <laughs> almost 400 pages from this 1,000-page book. Wow. Um, and part of it is just sort of like it, uh, it, it like just began this way of like him like shoving in like extra jokes and extra little things, um, like a way of shoving these little bits that didn't really fit into the novel with kind of like, well, you can read these if you want um, <laughs> kind of feeling. Cool. If you, could, if you could do that to your own life, if you could like have a day – but then you could like end note an extra thing to pad out your day. What kind of what kind of things would you end note your day with? Well, I, I feel like like my my end notes would generally be like a series of self criticisms of all the things I did that day. Uh, it was uh, I uh, a friend once told me that talking to me was like uh, watching a movie you'd never seen before with the commentary track on <laughs> because there'd be so if I could actually remove the commentary from my actual conversations uh, yeah. and then move those all to the end of the day and then I would just stand alone in the room berate myself for roughly thirty to forty minutes and then I think my interactions on a daily basis. Would would go much better, I think. Nice, nice. Uh, would is there anything in particular that you beat yourself up about, or is it just that sort of that constant little bit of questioning of like, did I fuck that up? Did I fuck that up? Yeah, I mean, I I think it's it's that. I would say anytime I am talking to a person, <laughs> uh, like like there's that constant. Uh, you know, like that, that constant voice in my head of just being like, be like, oh, they hate you. They totally hate you. Oh, my God, why did you say that? And so uh, that can often leak out into my conversation, which is very confusing to the person I'm talking to and that I'm giving them their opinions to them about me. Um, like, hello, I know you hate me. Yeah. But anyway, let's... Uh, yeah. yeah, which actually is 
part of like to, to David Foster Wallace is part of what he talks about is like people who are incredibly self-conscious and who are constantly like ripping apart the things that they think about and what other people might be thinking about them. Yeah. And sort of like that circular motion. And that's part of the reason probably why I identify with it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's very natural to sort of see yourself as reflected by other people. And then you take that next step of, I'm going to imagine what they think yeah. without asking them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then see that reflected. Right, yeah. And often it's negative. Oh. And then, yeah, I, I tweeted a while ago because it was kind of a joke, but then I realized how much it was true that I had had, like, eight really good arguments in my head, and I felt like I had won, like, five of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty good record. I mean, like, five for eight. It was, but then bad. I really, I mean, I kind of wrote it as a joke, but then I really reflected, like, did I really lose Three arguments against <laughs> myself? Well, I mean, another way to look at it uh, <laughs> is is that you won those three arguments as well. So you're kind of eight for eight. By having them, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, like sure. when you argue with yourself, you always win. That's the great part about it. <laughs> and you always lose. It's, right, well, it's, that's true. Right. But I mean, yeah. Yeah, but, oh, we'll, we'll take the positive note of, yay, won. Yeah. <laughs> take that, me. Uh, so if you could sit and have a drink with David Foster Wallace, what one topic would you want to discuss with him? That is a really, uh, that's a hard question for me because like over time, like the, the person of David Foster Wallace, you know what I mean? is someone that I think I probably would not get along with in real life. Okay. Um, in that like, I get a, like get along really well with his writerly persona, but like in terms of like, we talk to each other, it would probably be just two people sort of like staring at their shoes and mumbling <laughs> most of the time. Um, uh, so what I would, I mean, th- th- that's, I mean, that's the problem is that like, when you get obsessed with something as, as being, like, the greatest thing. Right. Like, you can't imagine ever interacting with that person on a person-to-person basis. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. It would be... Uh, a couple of times I've met people that I've really admired. It has gone horribly. Um, <laughs> because uh, they don't know me. And, I'm and again, doing the commentary track thing as I talk to them. Uh, and, uh, yeah, then I generally end up looking like a... Uh, I don't want to use... Uh, uh, it's a rough language here, but kind of a doofus. <laughs> I thought that that D sound was going to go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, it could, it could it's go. it's fine to use rough language. Okay, okay. you're on the fucking obsessed podcast. Oh, good. I'm glad uh, you can feel free. Uh, so you would have to. Well, was he known to be a personable guy, or was he shy? Well, no, he was known as being very shy and also. Uh, not that great of a dude, actually. And it's not, and it's, and part of it is, like, he was, he struggled with, like, really intense depression his right. entire life. Like, he, he had electroshock therapy before he was out of undergraduate. Wow. So, um, but, so, and, and so, like, he would sort of seek out kind of caretaker people, you know what I mean? Who were, like, would take care of him and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and so, uh, so, he, so, yeah, he was... And they, but he was also known as being kind of a womanizer. Um, <laughs> Great. Yeah. And it would develop these very intense uh, relationships and had an addictive personality. And so there was a lot of a lot of stuff flying around him, which again gets back to that idea that like like this is like the the author that guys you don't like try to make you read. Because like <laughs> especially in his early work, there's a lot of that sort of like that sort of feeling in his work. Okay, so there's some actual just not great stuff toward women? Well well the thing is is that like he was, was trying to purge it from himself. Like okay. he had he wrote an entire short story collection called Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Um, where it's basically like all of these like these interviews that are taking place, um, where the the questions are blank but you're just getting their answers. Okay. And um and it's sort of like all these men who sort of use the sort of like sensitive therapy therapy speak in order to manipulate women basically okay talking about sort of their tactics and strategies and like i think that was kind of his realization that like hey this is a blind spot in my personality that i need to fix <laughs> and so he ended up like purging it through this short story collection cool so if you could have a moderated conversation with him so like there was like uh it was all three of us at the bar and right. i would just be like i'm going to facilitate i'm right. going to make sure that there's no awkward pauses what would you want to Try to get out of him. What would I want to try to get out of him? That, I mean, it's hard to say because, like, it's in in a strange way, like, I feel like I know him so well. Yeah. Like, because it would be this very odd, like, immediate intimacy thing where I'm like, I know everything about you and you know <laughs> nothing about me. Yeah. Um, because, like, I mean, obviously, like, I would, what I would love to do would be, like, extract the secret of his writing from him and then <laughs> ingest it in some sort of, like, <laughs> like, like, it was, in, like, I'd imagine, I'm imagining, like, a, a glowing test tube. Um, oh, yeah. And then, like, you know, like a hypodermic needle. So, like, that would be kind of what I would be going for, I think. Because, okay. uh, that, yeah, that was, that's sort of 
awesome. So I you would. have a really clear separation between the guy and his writing. And if you if he did actually have like some druid like runes carved on his back yeah. that allowed him to write so good, you'd yeah. be like, "That's great. You're you're fine as a person or whatever." But I really want the druid runes. Yeah, the, that will yeah, allow the, me. Yeah, yeah. The runes. Like really, we're all after the runes in the end. <laughs> like so. Cool. I, I find it interesting when people really like in uh, an artist of any kind that at what level are you able to separate the person from the art? And you seem like you have a really strong separation and a really like sort of healthy attitude between this is the person and then this is the amazing thing they created. Yeah, I mean, and, and part of it is that like I only discovered that stuff way later because he was sort of very cagey about his personal life for a okay. long time. And so by the time like I started learning more about him, like I'd already developed this like very intense relationship with his writing. <laughs> and so it's like uh, so you end up like in that position of like, you know, like you have like the, the jerk friend, you're like, you don't know him like I do, all right, man? Like, yeah, he's got he's okay though. Yeah. Um and uh, so, so yeah, so it is a, it's a real strong separation. And then, like, you know, like, as I learn more about his life, it kind of just gets sadder and sadder. And so, like, at some point, you sort of, like, I'm like, I'm going to interact with the David Foster Wallace, like, who's in his writing and not the real life person. Okay, cool. So you are obsessed with David Foster Wallace, the writer. Right, exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> not, not the person. So how do you think a Wallace, the writer, or the person would have felt about Twitter? How would I think it, about David Foster? I, I think... Uh, he would first of all he would hate it. I don't know that he's ever written anything that was shorter than 140 characters um, in his in his life. Uh, and and part of the thing was is that like he really because the internet sort of happened as he was coming up and he, yeah he was and he was avoiding it like he wouldn't do it like because he knew that like for someone with an addictive personality in procrastination issues like, yeah. yeah yeah that like he would never <laughs> come out of it and and in Infinite Jest. Uh, in the novel Infinite Jest, there is a movie called Infinite Jest. Um, <laughs> Where that there's uh, one character's father is this experimental filmmaker, and he uh, created this film called Infinite Jest. Where when you watch it, you want to do nothing else with the rest of your life except continue to watch this movie until you die. <laughs> like you don't you don't uh, take care of your physical functions. You just sit there and watch until you die, which is basically a working definition of the internet. I yeah, think. yeah. Um, in in Twitter is just weaponized the internet. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so I. I'd imagine that like he would uh, immediately become obsessed with it and uh, then hate himself for it. I yeah. Think so if of... Twitter had come up a few years earlier, Infinite Jest probably just wouldn't exist. No, no, no. I certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, if you you admire him as writer, if you could edit any of his works or change something about his works, what would you change? Um, that is a good question. That's that's a very hard one for something that you're uh, so obsessed with. I mean, um. Uh, gosh, I don't know. Like there was, there was this sort of this transition later in his career where he like he was like really struggling with like trying to be a good person. Like okay. you know what I mean, and so um, he like had these two things. Like one, he was like this like postmodern trickster coyote, coyote god. You know what I mean? Who was yeah. like like drawing attention to the fact of his writing while he was writing it and all this kind of stuff. But then yeah. he also wanted to like get out this like super positive message. You know what I mean? Of like being mindful and trying to help people. And sometimes in his in his later work, like, he's trying so hard to go in that direction. In the mindful direction? Yeah, in the, in the mindful direction. Okay. That, like, um, that sometimes I think he sort of, like, loses his, loses his way a little bit, I guess. Okay. Um, but, so, like, I just, I kind of wanted him to stay, uh, this, you know, like, to stay, like, because I love that sort of, like, postmodern-y, trickstery stuff. And yeah. I thought that, like, his struggle with that stuff was great, but when he went all the way that direction sometimes, like, I kind of was like, oh, that's not the thing I fell in love with about you. It's still really good. And but. is that mostly in his final novel, where he just gets straight up Well, it's like, nice. I mean, uh, well, he sort of is struggling with it as Snooker, but then there's like, you, a lot of people have heard of David Foster Wallace because he did this commencement speech at uh, Kenyon University that sort of like became this viral hit. Okay. Strangely enough. Like, <laughs> uh, where it's just this like speech about like, like how hard it is to be a person and how you need to like try to be empathetic and all this kind of, was, which is great stuff. Yes. Like, it's, it's, it's self-evidently true that you should be a good person and it's try the to anti-internet. Be... Yeah, exactly. Just a constant reminder of be the best you you can be. Yes. <laughs> right, exactly. And so, um, um, and I've forgotten the question. Well, if you could change anything. Oh, yeah. So. Well, yeah. So, I mean, like, but I mean, it's, I, uh, but not much. You know what I mean? I want more. I just want more of it. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, and uh, so I would, I would make them longer. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is, 
<laughs> so you would go to his editor and yeah, say... Yeah, I'd be like, I kind of want those extra 400 pages you cut out. I want a book that is just literally too large to physically handle. Yeah, exactly. falls but, apart when you try to read it. Exactly. It, I want it to be a, a, a physical weightlifting challenge. It is so large it cannot be bound. Right. Uh, okay, so uh, here's my next question, less serious. Which of the following authors would win in an arm wrestling competition? David Foster Wallace... J.R.R. Tolkien, Sylvia Plath, or George R.R. R. Martin? Uh, well, interesting question. Uh, <laughs> s- yeah, and certainly one that I've given a lot of thought to before this moment. Uh, Sylvia Plath, uh, I think she'd kind of be fiery. I think you can't yeah. count her out. I think she'd like she'd definitely go for the genitals. Okay, so like, you think <laughs> Sylvia Plath would cheat her way over the top? Oh, absolutely. In an arm wrestling yeah, exactly. yeah, absolutely. No question. Sylvia Plath. Thank you for taking that question far more seriously than it deserves. Uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the cruise ship piece, because that is, I think, one of his the things that people know him the most for. Right. Uh, have you ever been on a cruise ship? I have. Um, when I was younger, uh, my my brother and I were starting to get kind of too old to do family vacations, and college was coming up. And so my parents were like, we're going to have this like last big trip, um, <laughs> and we're going to bring our grandparents with us, because that's the best thing to have on vacation, is uh, people slowing you down, yeah. um, <laughs> who don't like anything. <laughs> uh, and so we took a cruise to Alaska, um, wow. which was, which was uh, you know, like... Beautiful and wonderful, and I spent uh, most of the time, basically, these these long, long days split between playing ping pong and Galaga. Um, <laughs> in, f- in the ocean. In the ocean, and this is the most beautiful place on Earth, and I, I have a trophy for winning the shipwide Galaga competition. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you beat a bunch of octogenarians at yeah. Galaga, pretty much? Or did you have actual competition? Uh, well, I mean, like, there, there were, uh, I, yeah, I did, actually. And so, like, you can have your Oscars, all right? Like, you can have your Emmys. Like, give me, give me my cruise ship Galaga Alaska tournament championship. Cool. So do you find uh, that you agree with his general perspective of cruise ships? That there's sort of, I mean, it's generally just that they're sort of vapid and bizarre, right? Well, yeah. And I, I think that, like, the one of the things that he's sort of saying about it is that, like, if you remove all sort of physical needs from someone, like you don't have to worry about when you're eating, you don't yeah. have to worry about like feeding or clothing, like everything is taken care of. Like there's not like they that that was like the thing about cruise ships is like you're pampered, you know what I mean? Which is like what there's a reason why like diapers are called pampers, like because they <laughs> they are treating you like a like a like a baby who cannot take care of. It. And then yeah. so when you do that, when you remove all of that stuff, suddenly for a certain kind of person, you are thrown back on the existential horror of being. Yes. <laughs> and I am one of those people. <laughs> For whom that is a that is a cat a constant chasm that yawns beneath me. So you went on a cruise with your family and you experienced existential dread in a Galica championship. Well, see, the Gal- <laughs> see, that's the thing is that a lot of psychotherapists will not tell you about this, but Galica is actually a really good antidote for existential horror. Oh yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you're 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 fighting away. Yeah, especially when you get the double ship. Uh, (laughs) When you get that, like, all of your carrot is just immediately gone. You're literally kind of shooting into the abyss. Right, exactly. Instead of the abyss just staring back. Right, exactly. sending a lot of alien ships to kill you. You can imagine little faces on them. Like, there's a lot of things you can do with Galaga. Excellent. I've been on uh, many cruise ships to uh, perform on Jonathan Colton's cruise, so it's kind of a different experience because, you know, I'm there to perform. I'm there with a group of people who are generally kind of irony-friendly mm-hmm. and sort of aware of the weirdness of a cruise, but in a way that makes it even weirder because you're in this sort of pocket of people with purpose, and then you're looking out on the other people who are just sort of shuffling through the strange existential life right. of the I, cruise ship. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, is that, like, there were probably, like, you know, like, and, I, you know, like, they would have, like, youth activities where it was, like, for people under 16, and there were, like... <laughs> 12 of us on this ship of, you know, like, I don't know, hundreds of people. Like, and yeah. so there was just no protection from just, like, wandering around this this giant, like, floating hotel wondering, like, <laughs> what the hell is going on with my with my life, with the world? It just, like, very rapidly yeah, uh, becomes for, a, yeah. a, a life problem. Yeah, for as beautiful as the sea is, yes. it does really quickly just be, like, 
this is endless. Yes, that's the thing about the ocean. Um, there's a lot of it that looks the same as other bits of it. <laughs> Most of it. Yeah, exactly. That. Yeah. You could fall overboard and no one would know. Oh, okay. that's, that, that is the lure. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that would be a great slogan yeah, for exactly, cruise ships. Exactly. Carnival. Ca- yes. The music so loud, no one will hear the water. Exactly. I mean, that's absolutely horrible, and I, I feel bad about it. Uh, the, the most recent uh, Jonathan Colton cruises have been on Royal Caribbean, which has this sort of uh, mall promenade in the middle. Oh. Uh, and you, so you can't see the water at all. Okay. So you know that you're on a boat, and then there are like places to shop, but then there's like a British pub that's all built up like a British pub. So it's this very surreal thing where you're like inside multiple different lies. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah <laughs> I, like, I'm having a Smithwick's. Yeah, you know? exactly. I mean, that's the thing is that like they, you get on this ship and then they do everything possible to disguise the fact that you're on this ship. Yeah. Because they know most people are uncomfortable being on boats. Um, so, <laughs> so they want the idea of like, hey, you're on a cruise, but also like you just might be down the street. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is an odd position to put people in. I was going to ask you if you'd want to go on a cruise with David Foster Wallace, but that I, I think you've already answered that. Yeah, I think I have. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what circle of hell would that be to be on a cruise ship? That was just you and David Foster Wallace oh, that, <laughs> and the I crew. Because the thing is, is that like I would say something to him and then leave immediately and berate myself for it uh, for in a couple hours and then come back and try again. Yeah. Uh, it would be the, like the Sisyphus of conversations. <laughs> just just constantly cooking my, 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 my stone of humiliation <laughs> and letting it roll down again. Awesome. Uh, so I read a little bit uh, about Infinite Jess on Wikipedia, so I knew a little bit about what I was talking about. And uh, I was interested in all those themes of corporate takeover of society. Right. So, like, it's isn't it that the years are purchased by different corporations, so they're named after... Yes, right. So so that's also confusing, because, like, it hops around in time a lot, um, it hops around in space, oh. and then, like, the only label will say, like, year of the depend adult undergarment. And so you have to sort of, like, gradually piece together the timeline of, like, what year is when and what time you are. So that you, there's no numbers. There's no numbers. They've been sold uh, as part of, like, a... Because, uh, like, there's, there's part of it that is just wacky satire, and the rest of it, like, this story of, like, addiction and misery takes place against that backdrop yeah uh which is really weird but yeah so like uh everything has kind of been sold um and so yeah so like and then like i think like 400 pages in he gives you like a a, a little cheat sheet <laughs> <laughs> but like you spend the you you do have to spend the first couple hundred pages just kind of floundering and wondering where the hell you are yeah so if, if our society in real life was taken over by corporations mm-hmm. in that kind of way what corporations would you want to what, take control. What corporations would I want to take control? Um, I think it would probably be cool if, like, uh, Wizards of the Coast took over a year. <laughs> and then it'd be like, and then, or just took it over entirely. It'd just be like, Year of the Kobold. And, uh, yeah. And so, yeah, Stone Golem Year. Just a, a geeky gaming extravaganza. Yeah, exactly. Because that, that, I feel like that would add a little bit of level, levity to it. You know? Are you a gamer? Um not really. Like, I, I became obsessed with... Oh, oh, here's that word again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the name of the podcast. <laughs> it pops it's, up. It's like, it's like in a movie uh, when they say the name of the title and then you have to yell and scream. Yeah, you have like to turn pe- to the camera. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, I, like, I've read all of the... Like, I've only played, like, once or twice. Um, only a few times, but, like, I, uh, I played with in my junior high ex-girlfriend's dad. Um <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's let's roll that back. Oh, uh, yeah, of junior high girlfriend's dad. G- junior high ex girlfriend. Well, no, she was at my ex girlfriend at that point. At that point, yes. Okay, because um, otherwise it seems like yeah, I know she's your ex girlfriend now. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, I don't think, yeah, okay. yeah. So you had you dated a woman in junior high. I dated a woman in junior high. I mean, even, no, it was grade school. It was grade school. It's my grade four, school. It's my fourth grade ex-girlfriend. <laughs> <And> you <laughs> broke up. Yes. Things with, didn't, I, didn't, I mean, look, it's always disappointing. You weren't when, ready for that when, commitment. Because it really felt real. <laughs> we we nearly held hands. Yeah. And um, so... Some but then, cooties were exchanged. Yeah, right? exactly. And then so uh, we... Uh, then later, uh, we had sort of kept in touch, and she knew that, like... Like, part of my hobbies was, like, reading role-playing uh, instruction manuals, but yeah. not actually playing them, <laughs> because I didn't know those people. And so, uh, I did. Uh, I knew they were out there, uh, but like, there wasn't the internet, yeah. uh, so you just sort of, like, hoped you ran into them, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> maybe you carry it on top of your books. Yeah, yeah. Um, like- but, uh, so... 
so yeah, so then she knew that I was like, I had just read the, the manual, and she'd been like, listen, my dad plays. Uh, do you want to come sit in on a session? And it was so, this D&D or was this? It was D&D. Okay. And uh, so it was me and like these sort of like like 50-year-old men in their basement. <laughs> like it's, just, it's like a smoke-filled room. And the cigars were coming out at some point. And I'm like, I think I was maybe 13 at that point. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so that, that kind of, uh, I didn't. Did they have like Mountain Dew or they like Mountain Dew and cognac? <laughs> I was, yeah. I mean, like, I, 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 I'm fairly sure they didn't give me booze at that okay. point. Okay, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. So that's sort of that. I didn't continue with that gaming group. Um, understandable, understandable. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah. So like, but like, I still like I uh, the the most recent D and D manual that came out. Like, I've I've now read that, and and then I have uh, I've even uh, rolled up characters and written little stories about them, <laughs> which is essentially like the D and D equivalent of masturbation. Like, <laughs> you're, you're just like sitting there alone in your room, like like she's a half orc. You know what I mean? She was from a noble family, but lived with the half orcs and liked them better. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, because I mean, when you when I think about rolling up a character. You always, much like masturbation, you want it to be perfect oh, and strong and impressive. That's but exactly the, yeah. The dice determine. Yeah. So it, it it both makes perfect sense to me that rolling up a character is like D and D masturbation. But then it's almost like if you were going to masturbate in real life, but you let dice decide how successful right. it was going to be for we'll you. Just stopped right before you finished. <laughs> yes, because then it, it would create the same feelings of rage and frustration. I think. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. It seems like yeah. If not full masturbation, certainly arousing yourself, putting a condom on, and then just standing around. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm looking for a party. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody? No? All right. Uh, I understand. I, I am lucky to have found people to, to do more role-playing with. Oh, okay. uh, I've done, uh, not right now, but uh, when I lived in Minneapolis, I played Call of Cthulhu with a bunch of people. Oh, okay. And that was great fun. Uh, the... The uh, game master for that uh, has read all of David Foster Wallace as well. It's <laughs> a very, it's, it's a type, it really a very is. intelligent, uh, talented uh, writer guy who, who you know, it was great because we would run into Cthulhu, but then sometimes we'd just be in hotels and talk about our feelings <laughs> <laughs> while we're waiting for cultists. Yeah, to attack. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, roll for intimacy. <laughs> uh, but as a kid, I had my brother and I had the same problem of we were super interested in role playing. But we didn't really know any other dorks who wanted to. Right. Uh, so we just had to do this sort of savage version where we just beat each other up as Marvel superheroes. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but we couldn't play any of the actual narrative because yeah. we already knew the mysteries because we read the manuals. Yeah, exactly. It's fucking bullshit. It's like, why have sex? Because you know how it's going to end, right? Seriously. Yeah. That analogy doesn't make any sense. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to ask a little bit more about the whole anti-irony thing. I was interested in that when I was reading up on David Foster Wallace in Wikipedia that it seemed like in different interviews he gave that he was sort of uh, really pushing for, like, I want things to be sincere. I want people to realize that we need more empathy like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But then he does have all of these sort of tricksy, ironic in order to know what's really going on in the book, you have to put these two disparate things across hundreds of pages together. Uh, so you like the? Do you like the anti-irony more than the irony? Or I, I mean, I like the struggle with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I often like writers like early in their career when they're trying to figure stuff out. You know what I mean? Because like when because everyone like is like is like I'm going to find some truth that nobody has ever found before. You know what I mean? <laughs> the and great like, American like, novel. Like, yeah. There's something out there that I'm, I'm I'm reaching for, and then at a certain point, and again, like I feel like this is you know at a certain point if you're you know a, a, a a mature human figures out like, oh no, like it's just the same, wi- like like boring wisdom that everyone has. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. life is, and so which is not untrue, but like for me that like that struggle to find it is more fun. And so part of why uh, Infinite Jess just struck a chord for me was that I um, he it wasn't only characters that were going through change. He took he wrote it over like five or six years. Yeah, while he was going through that same change, basically. So, um, and by the end of it, like the last third of it takes place mostly in a uh, rehabilitation center. Okay, like so. There's <laughs> and, and it's like and it gets very sort of like bleak and depressing. And he had actually gone into like during the course of the novel, he had like gone and he had gone into rehab himself. Okay, and was like trying to come out with this. Uh, and so like that that struggle to me was like really interesting in that like how when you know when I was young and reading it like I was identifying with all these like young cool characters who like seem to be like like funny and clever and smart and then like as you get older you sort of like start identifying more with like these sort of like these people who are like struggling to try to like become real people yeah just drop the bullshit and answer my question kind of thing you know yeah 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 exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and so like we're like the 
like they they say it baldly a couple times, which where it's like there's these like sort of AA isms that he sort of dissects and like rips them apart, like basically like like being clever is what got you here. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> like your brain has found found a million ways to justify you continuing to drink yourself into oblivion. Right. Right. So. Yeah. That made me more interested in uh, in Infinite Jest than I than I ever have been, just because I think I've always seen him as this sort of James Joyceian sort of like it's really complex and you have to figure it out so that you know, the book comes across, has always come across to me as like a challenge. Like, I'm super smart. Are you, motherfucker? Yeah, and to just... know that within that, there is that struggle to be direct and sincere. Yeah, and, and, and for me, like, uh, I do, I, like, I'm not one of these people who, like, needs to solve every puzzle. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, because then there's, like, because there's plenty of stuff that, like, he drops all these clues. And there's, like, you know, huge, like, website universes of people, <laughs> like, trying to, like, crack the code of the novel. You know what yeah. I mean? Which, which like for me, like, is not really the point of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, for me, it's, it's, like, sort of, like, that is, that's, like, an aspect of it that, like, I kind of don't care about. Like, the first yeah. time I read it, it just, like, washed over me. I didn't understand it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like <laughs> But you enjoyed I, it as it passed. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right? I love, okay. yeah, I, like, I, I really loved just writing, and I love, like, the characters and stuff, and I didn't quite get what was going on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but so, like, for, like, for me, like, it's more just, like, about how he thinks that's interesting to me than, yeah. like, and uh, and obviously it's like funny and and I, you know I think he's you know he's hilarious and funny and like is struggling with really big questions and like that is more the issue like the idea that like you could crack the code and then I have the real meaning of this <laughs> uh, suckers you all read it wrong it's um, a puzzle to the hidden gold yeah um, I, I was also reading that different people think that the the novel does resolve and other people think that it doesn't resolve it is just kind of this explosion of non-linear stuff and there's not a conclusion i mean the first time you read it it definitely like feels like that you know what i mean like yeah. it just sort of like it drops off a cliff at the end and <laughs> you i i can tell you from experience you often get very angry at it <laughs> because like there's like all these plot strands that seem to be coming together uh-huh. um and then he sort of like leave and he just leaves it off and um one thing if i had to give you one tip if you were planning on reading it which would be like go back and read the first chapter again because he has like like if you just if you just continue reading the first chapter, like like you uh, oh like you finish the book and just go right, right around, around to the and beginning, read, and just read chapter one, um, and then like there's a lot of like answer like you know he sort of is like there's a lot of stuff that like just washed over you the first time you read it where he's actually sort of indicating how things might have gone. Okay, um, cool. And, and also for him, he was like he was like you know his, his his sort of opinion was like look these lines are all coming together in this way like you know he he sort of like didn't want to do that you know what I yeah. mean like it was which you know like. You could say that's that's kind of the dick thing to do, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. But like he was like he was like, well, the lines are all converging. Like we all can kind of see how this is gonna go. Yeah. Um. So uh. So yeah. So I'd advise you to read the first cha- like if you if you want to read the first chapter, it like gives you some hints and clues. But like you have to like don't read it if you're not enjoying it. Like it's yeah. like don't think that like at some like later point it's all gonna go. like like if you are not the kind of person who enjoys the way he writes, like it's it's not going to improve for you. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I would enjoy it, um, and and I appreciate things that are non-linear because I do think that that is a good thing for artists to push back on. We are so obsessed with the linear, right? And that all meaning is contained only in the conclusion, right? Yeah, <laughs> makes us really miss out yeah. on a lot of stuff. Um, so with the anti-irony and sincere stuff, I feel like our society is so geared to sort of irony. Do you feel like for yourself as a person, do you feel like you are sincere, or do you feel like you want to? be ironic naturally and then just have to remind yeah. yourself to be sincere. Yeah, I mean like like I mean, you know, I'm I I'm probably the first person who's ever said this, but like <laughs> irony is a defense mechanism. It's a way to like avoid feeling about things, you know yeah. what I mean? Like and so um so yeah, that that is the struggle because like it's just this way of like constantly like putting a barrier between yourself by like this barrier of interpretation between yourself and the world. And like so I find myself in that position is like my natural reflex is to go ironic. And uh <laughs> You know, like, for instance, uh, there's places where that's not welcome, like, say, at, at your wedding. Um, <laughs> um, a light touch of irony yeah, at the wedding. Yeah, but exactly. Did you, you know? did you try to go ironic at your wedding? Uh, I, I, I didn't. I really, like, struggled to, like, because, like, the thing was is that, like, you know, we, you know, uh, because uh, we are those people, we're like, okay, well, we're just going to, like, write our vows, you know what I mean? And, like... Uh, yeah, and like, and bo- like for both of us, like we both wrote a bunch of jokes in there. Yeah, um, and uh, and all that kind of stuff. But like, just like, just like the struggle to just like say like a sentence like that is true and uh, contains a human feeling. Yeah, um, and just not be like, oh, that's people are gonna think that's stupid. <laughs> like, like, yeah, it just feels. I, I think after growing up with so much sort of irony and sarcasm as the normal mode of communication, uh, it just it feels unnatural to be 
sincere sometimes. Yeah, it re- I mean, it, it, it really does. And, like, that's the, like, that's the mode of, like, you know, whether it's, like, Twitter or, like, the fact that it's, like, it, co- it comes with, like, the culture being, like, a commentary culture. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, most of the shows, I think maybe even all of the shows I've written to, most of them, have been, in some sense, commentary on other pieces of culture. Like, <laughs> yeah. not things in themselves. Um, so, like, that idea of, like, the commentary is, like, because, like, it's just the thing that you can consume easily. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like it's it's harder to, like, have a response to a show. It's easier to just have someone tell you how stupid it is. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, uh, yeah when, uh, when I met my wife's parents, it was really difficult for me at first because they are just nice people. Right. And I wasn't used to nice people. So they would just say, like, we're really happy to see you. We yeah. like your sweater. And it would make me really uncomfortable. Yes. Feelings are <laughs> creeping. Um, and it wasn't even feelings because I, I think, I, you know, like I, I've always been pretty, I've been lucky to have friends who are open about like, yes, we are friends. Friends are like family. We love each other and that's fine. And But that just that feeling of the only thing that is being expressed is something nice. Like, because I think that's the, the thing with like irony is that encoded in it, you know, you can have sincerity within the irony, but just sincerity all by itself is like, there's nothing. Yeah, well, what I, well, like, it's, for me, it's been a real learning process of, like, like, when, uh, like, with, like, friendships and stuff, like, trying to check in, and what I do is I, I, gen, I then overshoot <laughs> the, the earnestness target, and so, like, I'll be, like, ha- like well, I'll have, like, a, a, a funny evening where, like, because everything, like, every, everything I say is an attempt at a joke or something, and then, like, we'll finish the evening, and I'll be, like, by the way, I like you, and uh, <laughs> uh, I've enjoyed this time, because, because like, I didn't do that earlier, and it, but people would just be, like, I guess he's just, like, you know, d- doesn't like me and so like it was just this method of like relationship upkeep where I'd be like just so we're clear I I enjoy your company and I hope we see each other again yeah and uh, that is worse (laughs) I I don't I don't think it's worse by any means I I, I appreciate that having spent a lot of my life around comedians you get to a point of like not everything has to be a joke like we all heard that somebody used the word unit we don't need to make a penis joke we could just continue with our conversation well that's one place where I would disagree with you I think (laughs) fair enough they they did say the word unit (laughs) they knew what they were getting into All right. well the next time my mother-in-law says unit I am going to point and scream dick rake her over the coals (laughs) penises (laughs) yes rake her over the penis mother-in-laws love that (laughs) yes they do Uh, mothers-in-law I apologize (laughs) (laughs) but I think the what, what you're talking about with some of the writing gigs with this sort of of, uh, culture of riffing on things that's another thing that's interesting to me about sincerity is because I'm used to people having conversations where like here's a thing I didn't like oh yeah well here's another thing I didn't like so it's weird to me when people are just like here's a thing I like and you're like yes I agree that's nice Yes, these things are all very nice. Well, uh, where does the conversation yeah, go? Yeah, it's hard. We yeah. can't improve on clouds, and we both agreed that the clouds were awesome. That's so. Crap. Where do we go? Uh, yeah, we can't really be like, well, where do you think the clouds are going? Like, do, like, is that cloud going to meet that cloud, and then <laughs> maybe they're going to have a torrid affair? Yeah, there's. Uh, it's tough. It's tough to continue a conversation because, like, uh, when I mean, like, because, like, like happiness is really when thinking stops. That's the that's what's great about it. <laughs> like, like, like. Uh, you know, like, uh, I like to say happiness is a kind of forgetfulness. Um, that basically, like, when you're happy, like, you don't have to think. That's the point. And yeah. for some people, that's terrifying because you don't have that, like, <laughs> wall of thoughts blocking you off from the world, which is your safe little cocoon. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I got a few more questions here. Um, so The Pale King, his last novel, it was released uh, even though it was uncompleted, right? Right. So it's uh, it was cobbled together by editors, right? Well, yeah. I mean, he... he uh, well, uh, at this point, I probably, we probably should mention that David Foster Wallace committed suicide, and um, yeah, we weren't just using the past tense to be assholes. Yeah, exactly. He and then he and then he killed himself on my birthday, which was uh, an interesting little dovetail to this whole thing. But he, like, he basically left a bunch of notes as to the way it was going. Okay, um, and sort of like basically said, like, do what you can with it. Um, oh, okay, wow. So I didn't, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's certainly unfinished. Like, there's like this. There's there's characters that like will suddenly take on other characters' uh, traits. You know what I mean? Because he just sort of forgot which characters were which. Um, because, like, he would sort of write thousands of pages and then just sort of start condensing them down. Okay. Uh, and so it was about halfway through that process. Yeah. So, and it also was his attempt to... It takes place in an IRS unit um, and is 
trying to be like a, a, an exploration of the virtue of boredom. Okay. Uh, <laughs> like where, where it's like if once you sort of like are so completely mind-numblingly absorbed in a, in a task, like what's on the other side of that? Okay, where you, the, when you break through the boredom barrier. Well, yeah, like, yeah, like when... To like, the undiscovered country. <laughs> yeah, is, is, that, is that enlightenment? And there's like a character who is... Uh, when when they are concentrating on IRS forms, begins to float up from his chair um, because he's achieved oneness. I guess it's, it's a very strange book. Cool, cool. So the uh, obviously it is incredibly cl- sad that he committed suicide, and there's uh, stories there about the his problems with the medication. And that uh, the fact that he died on your birthday does that make you connect with him more, or is it just like a sort of weird footnote in your obsession with? David Foster Wallace. I mean, it, it made it, like, it did, like, because I always felt that there was, like, some weird, uh, part of the reason is, is that, that, like, his obsessions were kind of my obsessions. Like, I've discovered that, like, there was a, like, uh, like this, this like, little-known author that he was, that he really loved, that I happen to really love. He, okay. like, named a short story after, like, my favorite, like, one of my favorite philosophy books of all time. So, okay. like, there, there's, like, this weird parallelism in our lives, which sort of, like, made me feel like I was connected to him. And so then it seemed like horrific and kind of appropriate that that happens. <laughs> <laughs> horrific and appropriate. That yeah, seems exactly. That, that seems uh, good for <laughs> for sincerity and irony mixing together. Yeah. Uh, so here's, here's a less serious question. What would an episode of He-Man be like if it was written by David Foster Wallace? Oh, that's a good question. So... <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's very interesting. So it would, it would start off... First of all, you start off miles away from Castle Grayskull. <laughs> like it would be somewhere else. There'd be like like there'd be like a deer drinking from a stream somewhere <laughs> that is really having doubts about being a deer and wondering like <laughs> like you know like is this really my destiny is like to be a deer? And then there'd be like a cut. All right, and then it would be like years later after. <laughs> After the He-Man uh, Skeletor battle had been resolved, uh, <laughs> and Skeletor had taken over uh, Eternia and opened Chipotle's everywhere, <laughs> and and then so and then it would sort of hop back and forth in, in in that fashion until eventually, like you know, like Orko discovers the secret to the universe, but is like hit by an Eternian cargo van before <laughs> he's able to share it with everybody. This sounds like the best episode of He-Man ever. I'm I actually did. pitching this next week. I've just while we were sitting here, I've talked to my agent and uh, excellent. Yeah, so. well, yeah, I want to see it at least animated. Yes, we can we, do this. Yeah, we can hire an animator. Yeah, we'll do to that. animate that. Look, <laughs> we can do the voice acting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so through all of his work, all of his novels, and his nonfiction and his essays, do you think there is one like primary theme? One primary theme. I mean, uh, I mean, for me, it is like that struggle of like trying to like make a human connection while not ignoring like this. Because like part of the thing that you can do with with like sort of the postmodern thing is just ignore it. You know what right. I mean? And pretend it never happened. Um, and so for him, it's sort of like trying to use those weird like self reflexive uh, postmodern tropes to try to get to real feeling. Yeah. Like so, like that to me is like the one. And then there's the sort of like a, a theme that goes in a, a crosswise direction. Uh, <laughs> if we're gonna think about this spatially, yeah. where like there's like these 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 activities that seem totally rational on the surface, like just everyday life, and you sort of like when you follow the strand, like it suddenly becomes like this weird like morass of chaos and terror and madness. <laughs> and so it's like though the interaction of those two themes that I think sort of like stem like a lot of it sort of comes out of and like. Can you escape from like like the the whole attempt is like to try to escape from that? You know what I mean? Right. Like for like these moments of like beauty or connection or whatever. Right. That's really cool to have that idea. So I mean, there's that classic kind of comedy idea of the king and the jester, the king who is pompous and 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 needs to take care of everything, and the jester who just pokes holes at everything. So the idea of kind of combining that sort of uh, conflict into one idea of I'm trying to take responsibility for the world around me while also constantly poking holes in it yeah yeah and and i think it's also that that's kind of impossible as well which is sort of like he he, he never has totally figured it out which i yeah. think is what i <laughs> another thing that i like about him is he's not someone that seems to have a complete philosophy i and i feel like we would know if infinite jest was not only a really great book to impress people when they come over to your house but it also had solved not, humanity they're not impressed <laughs> anyone who's not read it by this point doesn't care anymore and then you just become the guy who's putting on his on his nightstand hoping to get laid 
yeah. which is a really ineffective way to try to get laid. I I, I can't think of any thousand page book <laughs> that is really <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I could just think of some situations where you're trying to set up like some sort of like shoot mechanism to well, like sure if you like need it as a fulcrum for something yeah, yeah, or whatever, exactly. right? On yeah. a practical level, yeah, a physical I could, I could, level, I could see it happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like to funnel women to your side of the bar, maybe. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, so here are our how obsessed are you questions? Okay. Do you think about David Foster Wallace and or his writing every day? Um, I would say I go through periods where that happens. Okay. Um, so like there'll be a, like a few months or so where I'll like really like get back into it and I'll start just rereading stuff. Um, okay. Which is sort of, uh, and, and then, then I will do that for, you know, a few months and then I'll like have to be like, okay, I need to put this down for a while. Okay. So you'll binge. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And okay. so, yeah. Uh, would you buy David Foster Wallace underoos? I mean, yes. I mean, absolutely. <laughs> Just because that would be an amazing thing to own. I have um, no idea what's on them. Maybe the deer from... <laughs> yeah, the, the, the deer from the He-Man. From Just yeah, the of un- the universe. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> uh, would you discuss David Foster Wallace with Hitler? Would I discuss David Foster Wallace with Hitler? Um, is this like... Is this art school Hitler? Sure. Yeah, art school Hitler. Like, yeah, he hasn't done anything <laughs> bad yet. And maybe, just maybe... Through David Foster Wallace, we can we can stop Hitler. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, would you watch an adaptation of Infinite Jest starring Nicolas Cage? No, uh, <laughs> I, I I I'm not a huge fan of like like adaptations of it. Like they're gonna do it. They're gonna do it. Someone's yeah. gonna try to do it. Um, so this is more about the adaptation and less about Nicolas Cage. Yeah, I mean, I mean. Look, I, I watch Nicolas Cage do almost anything, um, but uh, I would, yeah, for me, it would be more about the adaptation aspect of it. Okay, so I just want to make sure that it wasn't that you were more okay with Hitler than Nicolas Cage. No, no, no. I, I like, but again, like we're talking pre, like first of all, we need to go back a second. Right, right. This is Hitler in art school. Yes, yeah. In the, okay. Yeah, this is early so, early career Nicolas Cage, right, like wild at heart Nicolas Cage. Oh wow, this is, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is this is now getting tougher. <laughs> uh, would you write David Foster Wallace slash fiction? No. <laughs> I would That's not. a fine and acceptable answer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> would you like to say no more times? Because you can. No. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, would you swear at a nun over David Foster Wallace? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> that would like, I mean, it would, first of all, like, as I said, I'm okay with people not liking David Foster Wallace. But if she were to say, you know, come up to me with some, you know, like, say, like, like I heard you like David Foster Wallace. And I have a very detailed explanation <laughs> of why he is actually empty and everything that's wrong with society. I mean, look, uh, like, she's a nun. I'm not a nun. <laughs> I'm not the person who swore off those things. This is this is your deal. You are the first person who's had a really practical answer of like, of course, I'm not a nun. No, yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can exactly. tell her to fuck off. First of all, like that's a really aggressive nun. She should probably be thinking a little bit like yeah. about you know like her life. And, and <laughs> she should be meditating somewhere, yeah, right? Or, seriously. Uh, if you couldn't read David Foster Wallace without first being punched in the crotch, would you still read David Foster Wallace? I mean, not as often. <laughs> I, feel, I mean, yeah, I, 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 uh, I would. I mean, like, it's well, okay, can I back it up here? Sure. So, like, how many pages do I get to read per crotch punch? Uh, let's, say it's, uh, let's say it's like a daily, a weekly toll. Like, if you're going to read Infinite Jest again, that it takes you two weeks, you get punched every Monday. Every Monday. Yep. So you got... That seems, that, seems, that, seems, that seems reasonable to me. That seems totally reasonable to me. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Thanks for being reasonable, finally. Um... I ask people to make a noise to sum up their obsession, and sometimes it's real easy. <laughs> but with David Foster Wallace, do you have a noise well, to first, sum up this complicated well, first be, well, first author? Well, first, first would probably just be like, oh, oh. <laughs> and then there'd be a footnote on that noise, um, and then there'd be this long explanation of what that noise meant and the history of noises and <laughs> how how sound, uh, you know, how air molecules vibrate to create noise uh, is, I, I think, how it would go. Excellent. So the noise itself would be like twice as long as this podcast. Right. Absolutely. Ultimately. Yeah, awesome. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, is there anything else that you want the world to know about your obsession with David Foster Wallace's writing? Um, I, w- I would say go for his nonfiction first. 
mm-hmm. that stuff is, is often very funny. And uh, if you sort of like his writing style, then you can read Infinite Jest. I feel like people will be like, will be like, read Infinite Jest. It's the one thing you should read. But like, he wrote lots of stuff. Like, he wrote about tennis. Um, <laughs> like, and that, but that's the thing that's also incredibly frustrating about him is that like he wrote like a couple articles about about tennis, and they are generally listed if you like like the top twenty five pieces of sports journal- journalism of the last fifty years. <laughs> it's like Dave Foster was like the two tennis articles that he wrote. Um, that's so, amazing. So as much as I love him, also fuck David Foster Wallace. <laughs> that, that seems perfectly appropriate. <laughs> I love him and fuck him. I don't care if you're a nun. Uh, so here, here are the final questions. Okay. Uh, don't have to do with the uh, obsession. Sure. If the U.S. government made a stamp of you, what would you be doing on the stamp? Again, these are all really good, good <laughs> questions. Uh, so what would I be doing on this stamp? Um, I would probably, um, uh, I would have like my, 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 my hand to my forehead <laughs> in sort of a, uh, a, a, a pose of consternation. Oh, so uh, you would not be looking to the horizon. You'd be looking down. No, I would, no, I'm saying I'm just like eyes kind of eyes closed. Oh, uh, okay. Like hand to the forehead in sort of a salute gesture, but like with eyes kind of closed <laughs> and, uh, and then in my other hand, there'd be a drink. Sort of a hungover salute. Yeah, exactly. Sort of the morning after. Yeah, I, I think I think Salute that would really to the universe. really sum up my being. I would say that's a really great complicated image because you could read it lots of different ways. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, see, I mean that's I mean it's like me, you know. <laughs> I got, I'm, I'm crazy facets over here. <laughs> if you could do only one action at super speed, what would that action be? One action at super speed. I mean, my. Uh, I mean, my, my real answer is really boring. Is that like I would I would write way faster, um, like physically? Yeah, because uh, I often uh, when I was when I was growing up, I had to uh, like in grade school they like sent me to like a, a writing uh, remedial like I had to be pulled out of class. Uh, oh, really? For like. Uh, for my penmanship. So they removed me from learning <laughs> to try to teach. And so they would be like, I was literally in a room and they'd be like, so this is how you make a D. And I would like make the D. And they'd be like, see, just do it like every, like do it like that every time. I'd be like, I'm fucking busy. I've got a lot to say. I got time to make no fucking Ds. All right. So even as a kid, you were, you were writing fast. Your brain was writing faster than your hand can keep right, up with. Basically. And so, uh, so you had the sloppy D. So, yeah. <laughs> the D was, that, that was, that was my, my nemesis. But like, but like, and that's the thing is that like, and then every teacher was always like, you know, like Mark, we're going to let you slide this year. But you know, when you get to the next grade, they're going to stop taking these papers. They're just not going to accept them anymore. Guess what? Never fucking happened. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then there's that whole computers thing. Right. But do, would you like to type faster? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would like to be able to type faster. Um, I mean, but also, like, the entire process, I'd like to procrastinate faster. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, like, the entire, the, the entire process would just happen much more quickly. Okay. So you, everything involved in writing. Yeah. Observing the world. Yeah, exactly. I would have <laughs> insights at super speed. Sending emails. Yeah. I would everything. Be, I would just be like, just meaning would be, meaning would just be shooting off of me like a wake, <laughs> a golden wake. Excellent. Uh, and you are the first person ever who has already offered in answer to the final question oh my god in the middle of the podcast but i'll ask you again sure what is happiness happiness is a kind of forgetfulness that is awesome thank you very much that's our podcast (laughs) all right it was a lot of fun thank you thank you you've been listening to obsessed joseph scrimshaw and his guest shared some stories with the rest rate five stars if you're impressed (laughs) 